The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Jane Achaya. She's a clinical social worker and has worked with individuals, families and couples in private practice. She helps relieve suffering with individualized and comprehensive care, including all aspects of human being, emotional, interpersonal, physical and spiritual. Mrs. Ajaya teaches skills to advance personal freedom and growth, such as mindfulness and emotional and nervous system regulation. Relationships are complex, and today we are focusing on the important role of patience. We'll explore how to practice empathy even when we don't see eye to eye, ways to celebrate small steps forward in our relationships, and techniques for managing different levels of patience among partners or family members. Also, we'll delve into creating a relationship culture centered on understanding rather than blame, and the delicate dance of being patient while promoting growth. Let's get started. Hi, Jane. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Hi, Eliana. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to exploring these questions. Me too. And we have some interesting questions today. And the first one that I would like to start with is how can we practice patience and empathy towards each other even when we might not fully understand or agree with the other person's perspective it's difficult it takes skill you know to trust that even when you don't understand what the other person is going through how they're thinking about things or feeling about things that you have built enough trust in your relationship to be able to be curious and kind, you know, when you don't understand and not to make assumptions or take things personally, right? But to, to ask, you know, to, to be um, open, trusting, you know, here we have a difference and I don't understand, you know, please explain to me so that I can understand, you know, what triggered you, you know, what caused you to think that, right? And with, I like to think, um, it's a phrase that a client gave me with curiosity and kindness. Um, we feel safe to open up right? So that, you know, I can tell you um, what triggered me or what caused me to think that. I can help you to understand if I trust you, if it's safe for me, right? So building that trust, you know, is fundamental. And being able to do that has a lot to do with um, the kind of communication skills you know, that we practice or not, (laughs) right? You know, if I know that you're not going to blame me, you're not going to accuse me, you're not going to threaten me, you're not going to make me wrong, you're not going to have contempt 
for me, right? I trust you. Then it's safe for me, you know, to uh, explore myself and share with you, you know, my intimate truth, my authenticity. Now we have a relationship, the kind of relationship, you know, where you feel really close to somebody. Yeah. Okay, so to sum up and make sure I understood, uh, in order to practice patience and empathy when you are not maybe understanding or agreeing with the other person, you really need to have the first component, which is the trust that needs to be there. And without it, it is almost impossible to you know, have patience and empathy with someone, if, even if you don't understand and agree with them. Yeah, if, if you don't trust them, hear their, um, their believing, their, their communicating um, emotions and thoughts that, you know, don't make sense to you, right? You don't understand. Mm. Um, if I don't trust you, I can make all kinds of assumptions about, what that means, right? Oh, mm. You see, if I if and I can read into the unknown of my mistrust, my untrust can become mistrust. But if I'm curious and kind, you know, if I ask you, you know, what does that mean to you? What triggered you to feel that way? What brought what brought up those thoughts about us or about me or you know about you know, our plans. Um, and there's mutual trust. You're more likely to get an honest and more authentic, more vulnerable answer from your partner, you know, so you do understand because that's, that's a high value, you know, in a healthy relationship, you know, to really know one another, to understand without judgment, without blame, you know, with conflict necessary at times, but in a way that is constructive. You know, there can be disagreements, but mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have to be um, threatening. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And the next question is, how can we recognize and appreciate small progress or positive steps in our relationship rather than always focusing on what needs to be fixed or improved? This is a really good question because it really gets into psychology 101. Because we know from like research from like many decades ago and replicated ever since that when you reinforce a, a behavior, um, the behavior is likely to increase in frequency and intensity. So if you are um, being uh, loving, you know, kind, open, you know, helpful, whatever, or moving in that direction, even, you know, it doesn't have to be all the way there, but moving, you know, taking steps and in a direction that feels positive for the relationship um, and you reinforce that behavior, <laughs> your partner is more likely to repeat it and to repeat it with 
little bit more frequency and a little bit more intensity when you appreciate it, when you reinforce it, when you shine your light on it and you say, you know, thank you. You know, this is so helpful. This is really, you know, um, appreciated. Um, You're going to see more of that behavior. So it's very wise to recognize and appreciate small progress and positive steps. Whereas if we focus on what needs to be fixed or improved, um, you're going to get more resistance. You know, there's going to be um, defensiveness. If I say to you, Juliana, you know, there's something that you're doing that needs to be fixed or improved. You know, <laughs> it's not, it's not, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you're not, you, you're going to put up some resistance to that on some level. There'll be a defense. You know, I'm, I'm saying you're not okay. You're not doing enough. It's a criticism. And we don't do well. You know, we, it, we do better when our partner or significant people in our lives recognize that we're moving in the right direction, then we, we're more likely to be motivated to do that. But when we're criticized, we tend, you know, a lot of people tend to shut down or get defensive, resistant, you know, who needs to be fixed? I don't need to be fixed. Mm -hmm. Who's saying I need to be fixed? You know, but if you're, if I please you in some way, and I'm, and, and there is that trust and there is that willingness, you know, to hold this relationship together, right? And you let me know that, then I'm going to want to do that more. Mm. If you criticize me, um, it's I'm not as motivated. It's a different, it's a fear motivation. It's not a you know, um, positive, healthy, happy motivation to do something that's really working, you know, when I'm appreciated. Mm, Okay. Is it always bad to give, or is it bad to give constructive criticism or should you, rather than giving constructive criticism, try to always uh, reinforce uh, their behavior when they are behaving in a way that is improving whatever situation or yeah I think that's my question (laughs) you know think about it for yourself Mm. you know if you ask if you ask for constructive criticism you know you ask you know somebody you you wrote something you ask somebody to read it Mm. you know and give you constructive criticism um that's very different from somebody, you know, just volunteering <laughs> criticism. You oh, see what I mean? Yeah. Isn't it? And so criticism is is it's one of the four behaviors that are that research shows are associated with um uh the the failure of a relationship. Criticism. There are four 
basic behaviors. This comes from the Gottman's mm-hmm. research on relationships. Um, G-O-T-T-M-A-N-S out of the University of Washington in Seattle. And they found four ways of communicating four behaviors that predict the demise of a relationship. One of them is criticism. One of them is contempt. One of them is defensiveness. Then you have stonewalling. And I added my own (laughs) special (laughs) dislikes, which are uh, gaslighting and complaining, that that doesn't bond me to people, any of those things, right? So there, there are other ways of communicating, including noticing the positive, right? Which isn't to say, Juliana, that I can't say to you know, to you, to, to, um, someone, uh, in, and it's fair to say, you know, when you do this, when you say this, when you say you're going to do something and you don't do it right, when this happens, this is how I feel. That's not a criticism. When this happens, this is how I feel. And then, um, you know, the the protocol is it goes on to, because what I need and want is. So this is a nonviolent communication script um, that's used in hostage negotiation. <laughs> so it can help relationships. Mm, okay, yeah. Developed by the Justice Department. It was called Nonviolent Communication Skills. And, or um, uh, conflict resolution communication skills initially. Mm-hmm. And um, they're so helpful. You know, it's so nice to be able to assert your truth without hurting your partner. To have a voice, but not do harm. That's mm-hmm. so great. It's just such a wonderful um I mean, of course, you make it your own, you know, it's, you don't have, it's not contrived. When this happened, this is how I, <laughs> you, know, you learn how to speak like that. You know, you like think like that. Um, you take a moment and you consider what happened. What triggered me? How did it make me feel? What do I need and want? And that is not a demand or a command. It's an invitation. This is what I need and want. And there's no expectation that you're going to, you know, respond in some perfect way. You don't have to. What's important is that I said my truth. You can think about it. You know, it's not, I'm not putting it on you. I'm just speaking what's true for me. It doesn't make you wrong or bad. I'm not blaming, criticizing, accusing, but I am saying how I feel. You know, when I hear that tone in your voice, I get triggered. You know, and what I need and want is like, you know, say it to me, but say it to me without that tone in your voice. Mm. You know? Okay. I'm thinking, how do you tell the difference or how do you make sure that when you are saying, because you said that 
you have to be able to say your truth and assert your truth without harming others. How do you make sure that you actually you do that, especially if you are um, if you have either it's your family or friend or partner that they um, take uh, many things kind of personally, how can you then be sure that, okay, I actually did assert my truth in a way that shouldn't be harmful, shouldn't be hurtful. But then of course, when you see someone react in a way that they are like, you hurt me, how can you then know that, okay, now I think the situation is actually no, uh, is actually such as that the other person who I just talked to took something personally when it wasn't. Do you understand what I'm trying to ask? Yeah. And, you know, I think all you can say is, um, I don't mean that, you know, to accuse you. I'm not blaming you. Um, I'm not making you wrong. You know, I'm just saying that because of who I am, because of my experiences, that tone, you know, if I hear it in anybody's voice, makes me scared or makes me, you know, um, shut down. You know, it's not you. It's that if somebody else did it, I would feel the same way. That triggers me, you know. And if you're with people who are easily offended, um, you know, it's important to recognize that that's, while we don't want to go out of our way to offend them, <laughs> with people who are easily offended, um, you know, there is, there's a couple of things, Juliana, that I've distilled from being a therapist um, that you can't get around. And one of them is grief. You can't get around it. You have to be human. Sometimes that's going to happen. And it's it's a process. You move through it. It's impermanent, you know, and it's meaningful. But there's another thing that we can't get around, which is that if we're going to be ourselves, sometimes people aren't going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's, there you come to a decision point in your life at some point, you know, am I going to uh, be myself um, risking that just by being who I am? For example, back when I was um, your age to be gay, you know, do I risk express, you know, expressing how I really am, how I really feel, knowing that, you know, the general population is going to um, despise me you know, even worse than today, right? Mm. 30, 40 years ago. And, um, and yet, you know, in order to really fully um, be true to themselves, there were people that made the choice to do it anyway. And um, it's a very rare and beautiful thing for any of us to give ourselves permission to be authentic, to be true to ourselves. And when we look at the possibility of a healthy relationship, 
And I'm not talking about family members or friends, but a healthy relationship with a partner, right? You both want to feel that you can be yourselves and that you will be loved, imperfect as you are, <laughs> you know, right? For mm-hmm. As yourself, there's the intimacy, there's the vulnerability, you know, that I can be myself, right? And so can you. And I love you for it. You know, that's now, that's what we want in a healthy relationship, right? Yeah. 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 So sometimes you have to make that choice. And sometimes it's out of kindness, you know, that you choose to, um, you know, protect a, a person who's very easily offended, easily wounded, as many narcissists are, right? Um, you know, and you, you know, you have to make that choice. Is it worth it? You know, if you know, will they understand or go into a, you know, a, a very negative space? And you know, do I want to contribute to that? I don't need to at this time, but there may be times when you do. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so just uh, summing up the question, how can we recognize and appreciate small progress or positive steps in a relationship rather than, you know, looking for things to be fixed or improved? Uh, One of the very first things you said that being aware of the basic kind of concept that when you reinforce something, it's uh, going to you know happen more frequently and maybe more intensively as well <laughs> and then you said about the uh that criticism is one of the four things according to the uh the yeah that you know really con- might contribute to the uh, ending of the of the relationship yeah and uh is there something else or did you say also like Would you like to sum up somehow? Yeah. The other thing was, if you trust one another, like, right, and you write a song, right? And you say to your partner, I wrote this song, listen, what do you think? Tell me honestly, give me constructive criticism. You're asking for it. That's Mm -hmm. different. And you trust that person with their answer. You want to know their answer. You know, you want that reflection. You you want to hear what parts of it are stronger or weaker or don't work, or, right? Right. There's That's, you know, absolutely great information, but it's information that you're asking for, you know, so you're absolutely going to be able to handle it. You want it. You're asking for it. Mm-hmm. That's different than you singing your song and your partner coming over to you and going you know that's with that that part there that was you know that's different right yeah okay okay yeah thank you um then we have what if one partner or family member is naturally more patient than the other and how can we find a balance that works for both of us 
well, what is patience and what is impatience? You know, these questions really got me thinking (laughs) a lot, you know, good questions. But patience and impatience, impatience is uh, feeling uncomfortable in the moment, right? We can't just sit with the moment as it is. It's not good enough. It's not enough. It needs to be different, right? There's a a pressure for change that's behind the feeling of impatience, right? You know? So the problem with that is that if, say we operate in different um, ways according to time, right, which can be a, a difference in a relationship. And sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't. But if I am, um, you know, basically functional, we're talking about, you know, people who can function in the world. Um, you know, I might be five minutes late or whatever, but I'm, you know, perfectly functional in my world, in my world. But my partner um, feels very, um, very much better if they're on time or a little early. Right? So neither one of them are wrong. Neither one of them are wrong. But the person who feels the need to be there a little early may have, you know, some anxiety. That can be a little compulsive. There may be some anxiety behind that. And sometimes with anxiety, very frequently, I shouldn't say sometimes, a lot with anxiety, you get control. So now, you know, I'm impatient with you, so I'm going to put pressure on you. I'm going to try to control you because I'm anxious. And that's not comfortable, you know, in a relationship. It's not comfortable. For the person who's more chill about time or relaxed about time, who is, you know, in their world functional, right? In their world, they are. Um, You know, people are fine with them. Um, To have their partner um, pushing them, you know, nagging, pushing, hovering, you know, um, is uncomfortable, right? So, you know, there's an example, a very simple and easy example of how that can be a mismatch between two people. And there's a negotiation that has to happen, you know, and a willingness between both of them you know, to try to find a win-win solution. You know, I like to think of the, you know, the Venn diagram, Julian, it's when you have two circles and there's a place where they intersect. And that's where they intersect. That's what we're looking for, you know, in finding, um, you, you know, communion in our relationship. Where do we come together? Where are we one? Uh, you know, where can we just move so easily together? 
And that's where you have to negotiate that middle ground, you know, um, and try it different ways. You know, you can, the person who is um, a little bit more easy with time could say, well, I'll try to be, you know, a little bit more aware and a little bit more in tune with you, right? Right? That's a possibility that in the negotiation, that person could offer that. Um, The other person could just as easily say, let me stretch how I can feel if I could just be a little bit late, maybe not 10 minutes, but like maybe five. Let's see how that feels for me. I couldn't do 10, but maybe I could do five, you know, or two. (laughs) I'll see how that feels. You see, if there's that willingness and that trust, you can have those differences without it being conflict. Nobody has to be wrong. Nobody has to be um, the bad guy, you know, and the problem. Nobody has to be the problem. Right? Yeah. This is how we stay friends. Right. You know? Right, because nobody is the problem. You can't help being anxious. And you can't help knowing that, you know, your way of adapting in the world might be unique to you, but it works. You can't help that, you know, it's, you know that, you know, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that you're anxious either. But how we treat each other, how we communicate from that, we can that's on us that we can those are the skills right that we can learn you know coming out of um bad relationships we can learn how to do it right and there's the you know that's the phoenix rising there's the spring coming back you know i learned a lot from my relationships that you know didn't last a lot yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's nothing is wasted thank you uh, how can we work together to build a culture of patience and understanding in our relationship rather than getting caught up in blame or anger i love that and it really can be done. And I'm seeing it being done in uh, families of, you know, young families that are creating a culture that's so different, you know, from um, how, you know, children were raised and how uh, couples shared um, household labor you know, I I really see a culture of, you know, greater and mutual respect um, in some families. And it's just beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful to see. And um, I think that agreement, I think, you know, one of the things we haven't really yet focused on that's very, very important, of course, is our our values. 
in a relationship, you know, our shared values, you know, you can have like the most beautiful relationship on the surface, you know, your lifestyle, your relationship can look great on Instagram, but if you don't have shared values, you're doomed, really. You're doomed. You really need to, because you're co-creating a family. And if you don't have the same values, you know, when it comes to basic values of kindness, understanding patience, as opposed to wounding people (laughs) with blame and anger, you know, if you don't share those values, well, that's a mismatch. It's a mismatch. It is, you know, um, if it's okay with you that, um, you know, to, um, to hit your child, to, you know, that people can be controlled by force, if that's okay with you, right? But it's not okay with me. It, we're doomed. Mm. There, are, there are basic values that if we don't establish that, you know, we're really not attuned. Those are, you know, highly important. Um, they're the skeletons of the atmosphere we're creating in the family. I have a terrible metaphor, a skeleton mm-hmm. of an atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> the, the basis of, you know, the atmosphere that we're going to create in the home are these shared values. Yeah. Yeah. Not exactly in every detail, like, you know, you might want to do a religious holiday that I don't want to do, whatever, you know, but, you know, that's, that's not the big deal, but the big deal is that, you know, how the questioner put it, you know, that we're going to be kind, we're going to be patient, we're going to be understanding, as opposed to attacking, blaming, you know, expressing anger, you know, that's a value. And um, the primary, the, the first step is that you, you, you come together, you know, basically on those values. They don't have to be perfectly, exactly the same, but basically the same, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's very lovely to work together to build that culture, because if you can be humble, you know, and you really... I'm going to say something, Juliana, here along the same lines, like in terms of building a culture that you have to agree on that. You also have to agree, I think, that there's something more important than just me. If you're going to build a culture of kindness and understanding, you know, and patience, then along with those basic ideas, There has to be an understanding that there's something that we value that is not just my ego, right? That I, there's something that I, that matters to me than more than just what I think and feel, although that matters to me immensely, but something matters even more and that's love. And I think that's a basic Fund that's like a foundation. If you want to build that culture of patience and understanding, there's your foundation. 
you both have to agree that that is more important than either one of you always, you know, agreeing or acting perfectly or saying the right thing, you know, that whatever happens, you're going to assess on the basis of these values. And it's going to be more important than my ego. If I fail to live according to those values, then I have to see that. I have to take accountability for that. And I have to repair it. And there's such a basic, like, you, if you don't share those values, if you don't agree on that, right, then how are you going to be humble? How are you going to be able to say, yeah, you know, I screwed up and, you know, it is more important that I, you know, I, I would have done better had I not been defensive or, you know, acted like I was superior, you know. And own it so I can repair it. Now we're building a culture and we're showing our children that we can make mistakes. And it's okay. And everybody's okay with it. Mm -hmm. You can say, oh, man, I'm sorry. You know, I don't like the way I said that to you. Mm -hmm. The parents can do that. Now the children are, are being shown that um, we can have a flexible personality. We can be flexible, which is, would make for a better world. (laughs) (laughs) You know, our kids were like, oh yeah, I see where that could be better, you know? Yeah, instead of it being such a battle to the ego, you know? I can't be wrong. No, I can't ever be wrong. That's a narcissist. A narcissist can never be wrong. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking now, thank you for uh, your words. They were very, very helpful and made me think. And uh, I was thinking, what, so do you see that, uh, I'm thinking about kind of the most common obstacles in trying to build this culture of patience and understanding and what i what came to my mind from what you just said that it's the lack of shared values because that really is needed in order to build that culture and then you said the stuff about ego that if you only think that like if you are not able to see that there is something more important than like just me always so those two really prevent the uh, building yeah. this culture of uh, patience and understanding. Is there anything else? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I think we can all relate to, you know, how it feels to get triggered by something that the other person says or does in the relationship. And um, having an emotional reaction without um, taking a moment to reflect and then either going into, you know, a fight to, you know, you're going to prove a point, you're going to make the other person wrong or whatever, or flight which is, you know, I'm going to be avoidant, stonewall, I'm not going to talk about it, I'm going to be passive aggressive, 
right? So um, that is for all of us, like a major skill building challenge is to be able to be, you know, like offended or triggered, you know, or threatened by something that our partner is doing, isn't doing, says or does, right? I mean, doesn't that happen to everybody sometimes? Especially if you're coming out of a narcissistic relationship, <laughs> you know, you know, right? And so, you know, we're we're all easily, you know, we're all sensitive and we're easily triggered when we've had, when we've been wounded, you know, in our history, all of us. And it's such a major um, accomplishment, really, to be able to have that emotional reaction and to sit with it and not immediately react just for a few minutes and just self-soothe. Because what you say and do from that place can be very damaging. Or if you don't, you know, ultimately express your truth, you know, how that felt, what happens in that, in those moments, then there's not a real relationship. You're not really talking. You're not, he doesn't know you or she doesn't know you, you know? So that ability to have that thought, negative thought, fearful thought, angry thought, you know, and the emotion that goes with it and to be mindful of it right? Not just driven by it. And sometimes in the heat of that moment, you even need to be able to say, according to what I've been taught, you need to be able to say to your partner, you know, I'm really struck by that. You know, I had a strong emotional reaction to that. And I'm going to take some time to think about it. I'm going to think about what you said. I'm going to, you know, try to um, learn, uh, you understand how to articulate it to you, how to, how to talk about it. Uh, so I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to meditate, you know, I'm going to go do some music. Um, and I'm just going to relax and give it some thought and I'll check in with you later. And if you're in a good place, we'll, we'll talk. Um, because there's no point in acting out from that place before we've assessed what's up, what's happening, you know, what triggered me, you know, what triggered me? How do I feel? What do I need and want in the relationship right now? Right. So that you can articulate it without blame, mm. you know, yeah. and then you, then you find that moment, you know, after you've, self-soothed you've self-regulated your nervous system basically you know yeah dance whatever gets you out of it right and and you're ready you've 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 um identified what triggered you you've identified how that felt and you have been able to identify what it is that would help what you need what you want what you need and want. And that's that doesn't mean you immediately expect to get it. But it's important for you to know that. 
And how radical is it for some women to even think in terms of what they need and want? It's just good for us. We should think in terms of what we need and want. We're human. We're allowed. We all have, you know, needs and wants. And if you're with somebody, they should. you would hope that they would want to know that. Maybe not immediately. Maybe they need to think about it. But at some point that they would care. And it's very important information if they don't. Yeah. That too. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Because you didn't do anything but tell your truth. That's all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Then, then we have... How can we balance being patient with each other's flaws and imperf imperfections with holding each other accountable and pushing each other to grow? I kind of uh, reacted to this question because um, if we're looking at a healthy relationship where we don't have people being physically and emotionally abused, right? Gaslighted, you know, this is a relationship where they've already established a willingness to heal, to grow together, you know, mm -hmm. to really get intimate on, a, on every level, right? Um, and at the same time, realistically, both people will have um personalities so along, along with personalities sometimes you know we have quirks we have flaws we have imperfections <laughs> kind of maybe all the time <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah <laughs> you know um and so here is where rather than um rather than spotlighting your partner's flaws and imperfections, I, it, I think it would be more productive to talk about how that particular behavior makes you feel, you know, and um, also that that particular behavior, you want to understand I think, your partner. If there is something that bothers you, something that we're calling a flaw and an imperfection, right? Who am I to call it a flaw? And I'm, mm. I see a flaw and imperfection in you, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point too. Not me, but you, right? So that you can see can be very tricky. That can really damage a relationship and putting pressure on each other to grow, holding each other accountable can be felt as you're really not my best friend. You know, you're you're my critic. You want me to be, you, you're not happy with me as I am. You know, it's not unconditional. I have to grow. I have to be have less flaws and be more perfect. <laughs> That's kind of, you know, what would backfire. 
in any relationship. If I'm, you know, if somebody's coming at me and telling me, you know, you got these flaws and I want to hold you accountable and I want to find the right way to put pressure on you to grow. <laughs> See what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> How does that feel? Right? Yeah. So again, we <laughs> we come back to, it's more about how that particular behavior makes me feel and what I would like to ask of you. And I don't expect that. And I don't expect it right away. But this is, this would help me, you know, because that behavior, that so-called flaw or imperfection, it impacts me in, in this way, you know, so help me with this if you can. That's an, it's a request rather than a, uh, you know, you know, basically telling the other person about their flaws and imperfections and putting pressure on them to change or to grow, you're saying that behavior affects me this way. And it would mean a lot to me if you would, you know, you'd work on that. Yeah. Ask, ask right? Yeah. And I yeah. think that way uh, approaching it, it encourages the other person to empathize and like remember the empathy. It helps them, you kind of nudge them to, uh, look at this from my perspective and like how this, because it was about how this affects me. So I'm requesting this because so, yeah. So it, I think it encourages people to, oh yeah, my, this so-called imperfection and flaw is affecting in some way. And now I'm being told how, so. But I think really important with that too, coming from both sides because there's no bad guys here really is for both of both parties to, you know, exercise that, that um, phrase, that cliche phrase, which I love, which is uh, curiosity and kindness, you know, that, you know, if you feel that what I'm doing is affecting you in that way, tell me more, you know, um, how often do I do that? Right. Um, do you think that, you know, is that related to, you know, stress, you know, or, you know, like, let's, let's really look at that, you know, um, am I being disrespectful, you know, ask ourselves these questions and ask the other person questions about, you know, why does that bother you? Right? Like, you, what we want is that somebody wants to know us, not judge us. You know, I had two clients in a week tell me that life was a schoolhouse, not a courthouse. <laughs> you know, and if you have a partner that really wants to know you, how good does that feel? You know, they want to know what's going on when you feel bad when you're angry, you know, it's, it's, they care about how they feel. They're going to tell you how they feel, but they also care how you feel. And that, you know, that, that just really, um, binds people, bonds people. It creates safety. 
you know, somebody really is curious about what they do that affects you like that or where that comes from in your childhood or, you know. So if that goes back and forth, it builds a lot of trust. You know, I am with my friend here. This truly is my friend. Mm. Yeah. Right. This person loves me. (laughs) Just the way I am. (laughs) You know, it's curious about, you know, my pain, my flaws, my, you know, bad behavior, you know, you know, wants to know rather than condemn. Of all those um, four communication styles, contempt, criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, I added complaining and blaming, accusing and threatening and, um, But the worst one, according to the Gottmans, is contempt. So if anybody is looking at their partner for their flaws, you know, is looking down, you know, on their partner, is feeling superior in some way, now we're, you know, inching into narcissism. Because in narcissism, you know, you get that feeling of superiority, arrogance, grandiosity, you know, and, and it's a spectrum thing. I mean, I I can see moments when I think I've been narcissistic. You know, I don't think it's like 100%, you know, and that's it. Um, I think it's a spectrum, a disability, you know, of empathy. You know, but the part of that is this feeling of superiority. Like I, you know, I, you have that problem. I don't have that problem. And it's not, that lack of humility is not going to bring people closer together. Right. That Because that, it, the lack of humility is another word for that is defensiveness. Thank you. And I really want to thank everyone also to for listening to this episode and yeah thank you jane again for coming to this episode and giving such uh, wonderful advice thanks really a pleasure to have such great conversation with you thank you eliana bye-bye if you have enjoyed this episode please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.